Hello, and welcome to this new episode of Head and Heart, a podcast by Probe Ministries. I will be your host today, Paul Rutherford. I am a research associate with Probe Ministries. Probe is a ministry to help Christians think biblically the other six days of the week or think biblically about every aspect of life. That's why we're here. If you've never heard of us before, you should check us out on the website. We're probe.org, P-R-O-B-E dot O-R-G. And the other day, I sat down with my esteemed co-worker, Dr. Michael Gleghorn, and we had a conversation about general revelation, or that is, things that are revealed to people outside of the Bible, outside of Scripture. And the conversation quickly turned to the question that this episode is titled as, Can Someone Be Saved If They Don't Even Know the Name of Jesus? And we had a really great conversation. And so I want you to listen up to this conversation with Dr. Michael Gleghorn. Let's go to a, a big whopper of a question that I want to ask you. And that is about salvation, right? Because our listener probably is familiar somewhat with Christianity or Jesus or the teachings of the Bible and knows that Jesus and salvation, those words are often associated. However they associate them, they're usually together somehow. So in this case, when it comes to general revelation, um, can someone be saved if they only have general revelation? What do you think? This is a really big question, and it's, it's very important to... Uh, try to think through it carefully. Um, yeah. On the one hand, if we just limit ourselves to general revelation, God's revelation of himself through creation and conscience and providence, we could think about it in this way. You know, some people have suggested, well, you know, what if there's someone, uh, let's say a Native American Indian, who's living in the Great Plains before the arrival of any missionaries, doesn't okay. have any access to special revelation of any kind. Okay, with you so far. And all he has is access to general revelation. And suppose by reflecting on what God has made known about himself through creation and conscience and so forth, he comes to recognize that there is a personal, eternal, powerful creator of the universe, that he recognizes that this couldn't have just happened by chance, that that there had to be a personal creator of the universe that brought everything that I see in the natural world into being. And then by reflecting on his conscience, he might come to realize that um, I am ultimately morally accountable to this personal creator of the universe, that he's not only the creator, but he's also ultimately my judge, and I'm ultimately personally morally accountable to him. And then also further by reflecting on conscience, he might realize that I have failed to live up to the moral standards that I recognize as being the right ones. Um, Just from that law written on his heart that Paul talks about in Romans 2, he would still realize that I have not lived in perfect conformity with the moral law that I recognize. I have have wronged people. Mm -hmm. I have done things that go against this perfect moral standard. And so recognizing all that, what if such a person were to cast themselves upon the mercy of this creator, not not knowing how or even if such mercy could be provided, but just, mm-hmm. just saying, I recognize that there is this personal creator of the universe, that I'm morally accountable to him, and yet I have failed to live up to my moral responsibilities. And so not knowing how, you know, salvation, so to speak, might be provided, they just cast themselves on the mercy of God. Well, could such a person be saved? Um, that's the question. And it seems to me that... That's that, a tough question. <laughs> yes, yeah. Yikes, when you put it like that, that's such a compelling 
thought experiment story. I don't, I don't know why you describe that kind of exercise you just went through, but that, that person, the way you describe him, man, you know, I, I wouldn't want to condemn him to hell. Yeah. It's so <laughs> I'm not God. I recognize that. But when you put it that way, even thinking through it from the biblical framework that such as I have, you know, I, I couldn't make a strong case for it, but I, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't go out on a limb just to make that case. I'll say that much. Yeah. And that's, that's basically where I land too, is just saying that this at least seems possible Given what Scripture says, I don't think that we can be dogmatic on this question either way. Okay. In, in other words, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to hear for our podcast listeners. I wouldn't wouldn't want to dogmatically affirm that a person, you know, in those circumstances could be saved. But I also wouldn't want to dogmatically affirm that such a person could not be saved. To me, it seems quite possible that such a person could be saved. But I have to say, ultimately, that I don't know for sure. Um, just being honest with the evidence that we have. Um, What's interesting about a case like this is that to some degree, not entirely, but to some degree, you might think that a person like this is in a similar situation to Old Testament saints Mm. that lived Mm -hmm. prior to the coming of Christ. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you could think of people like Noah and Abraham. Now, it wouldn't be exactly the same because, of course, if you think of Noah and Abraham, they both had access to special revelation. God you know, actually spoke to them and oh, revealed yeah. himself to them yeah, he did, didn't he? in special ways that would not be true of the thought experiment that we had conducted with the mm-hmm. Native American Indian living before the arrival of missionaries. Mm-hmm. Nonetheless, then you do have, just to make it a little bit more challenging, you do have some examples like a, a man, a, a very interesting man named Melchizedek, oh, yeah. who is mentioned in Genesis chapter 14 in the Old Testament. And he's mentioned at a time in which uh, Abram has gone to rescue his nephew Lot, okay. who had been taken captive by some kings that had come and defeated the king of Sodom in battle. And Lot was living in Sodom at the time. And so okay. yeah. Abram's gathered his men of war, so to speak, and gone and rescued Lot and taken back all the property and so forth that these kings had taken from the king of Sodom. And as they're returning, it tells us that uh, Melchizedek comes out. And this is what we read about him beginning in uh, verse 18 of chapter 14. It says, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of God Most High. And he blessed him, blessed Abram, and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And then it says that he, Abram, gave Melchizedek a tenth of all. And then Abram gets into discussion briefly with the king of Sodom. And we read just a little bit later, it says, And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have sworn to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take a thread or a sandal thong or anything that is yours, lest you should say I have made Abram rich. Now, what's interesting about this is that when you look at the way that Melchizedek refers to God. Uh, he refers to him as God Most High, El Elyon, there in the text. It's virtually identical with the way that Abram himself refers to God. Uh, Abram does use the covenant name of God here. He uses the name Yahweh for Lord in verse 22. I have sworn to the Lord, El Elyon, or God Most High, possessor or creator of heaven and earth. But he's basically referring to God 
whom Abram knows personally mm-hmm. in the same way in which Melchizedek is referring to God. So that, that there doesn't seem to be any question that they're referring to the same God. And so the question is, well, how did Melchizedek come to a true knowledge of God? Um, was it through general revelation alone? And as soon as we ask that question, we just have to say, well, we don't know because the text doesn't tell us. <laughs> we, we just don't know. How did Melchizedek get mm-hmm. A true knowledge of God and become, you know, a priest of God Most High. Yeah. All the way back here in Genesis 14, it could have been through general revelation alone, or it could have been that he was the recipient of special revelation that had been transferred down through history okay. from Noah and his sons. Noah had access to special revelation, as we've already said. Yes. And there could have been an oral tradition that preceded down to the time of Melchizedek. And so Melchizedek is actually relying on an accurate oral tradition of special revelation going back to Noah. Um, So both of these are possible. And so we just end up, you know, in a position where we just don't know how Melchizedek came to be in possession of this true knowledge of God that he had. But it seems undeniable that he himself did have a true knowledge of God and is someone that we should expect to see in heaven one day, um, along with with Abraham. So that would be on one side. Um, On the other side, if we think about this, particularly after the coming of Christ, you can think of other examples, which now go to speak to the other side of this equation. For instance, think about someone like Cornelius the Centurion. Uh, He's mentioned in Acts chapter 10, and here we get an interesting thing because notice how Cornelius is described. Now, this is after the time of the life and ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus. And Cornelius is described in this way, beginning in Acts chapter 10. It says, now there was a certain man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. So this man is clearly responding positively to whatever revelation he has access to, both general revelation as well as apparently revelation coming from the Jewish synagogue, probably. Mm -hmm. Um, And he's responding positively to that. And he is described in scripture as a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. Then it continues in verse 3, about the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come to him and said to him, Cornelius. And fixing his gaze upon him and being much alarmed, he said, what is it, Lord? And the angel said to him, your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. He is staying with a certain tanner named Simon, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who was speaking to him had departed, he summoned two of his servants and a devout soldier of those who were in constant attendance upon him. And after he had explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So here we have an example in which Cornelius the centurion is described as a devout man who fears God. He gives alms to the Jewish people. He prays to God continually. And now he's the recipient of a vision of an angel Mm -hmm. who appears to him and tells him to send to Joppa. Now, you would think, boy, I mean, Cornelius has clearly gotten the attention of God. The angel tells him that, you know, he he says to him, your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial, memorial before God. So he's gotten God's attention. 
And uh, so one would think, boy, if anyone has a saving relationship with God, it certainly appears to be Cornelius. Um, he's clearly responded positively to the light of revelation that he has, and and it appears that he's come to know God personally. Mm-hmm. But then as we continue to read, he, uh, the angel has him send to Joppa for Simon Peter. Um, they send men, they bring back Simon Peter, and Simon Peter comes back to them and uh, basically ends up sharing the gospel with them. And what happens is that after doing so, we read that uh, while Peter was still speaking these words, this is going all the way to verse 44 of chapter 10, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. And all the circumcised believers, the Jewish believers who were with him, who had come with Peter, were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay on for a few days. So my point here is that from the first part of chapter 10, one might think that Cornelius already knows God in a salvific way. And yet, as we read further, what God does is he sends an angel and tells him to send to Joppa for Simon Peter, who then comes and brings the gospel message, brings more information about you know, who precisely Jesus was. And as they're listening to this message and they respond in faith, the Holy Spirit falls upon them. And Peter says, hey, we need to baptize these people. They're now new converts to the Christian message. And so it appears that Cornelius doesn't actually become saved until later in the chapter when he has faith in the message of the gospel that Peter has brought and is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And so that just raises that whole issue of, you know, what if somebody responds positively to general revelation, like the Native American that we initially said? Yes. Is the person saved at that point, or have they responded positively to general revelation in such a way that now maybe God will send them more revelation, including the gospel message, mm-hmm. by which they can then believe and be saved. And that's that ends up being an open question, and, and I don't want to take yeah. a position on that. It seems to me possible that such a person could be saved, like the Native American we mentioned earlier, or if not, that God might send them more revelation because they're responding positively to the light that they have and that they could then be saved through that additional revelation, which could include the gospel. Yeah, you know, and when it comes to that issue, when the way you describe Cornelius, which is fascinating, by the way, you know, despite the number of times that I've read that book, having never thought of Cornelius like that, so I appreciate you, you bringing this light to it, this perspective on it. Man, I can just imagine, if anyone listening to us is anyway similar to myself, when they think about their own salvation story, uh, just how many parallels there are in terms of responding positively to the revelation you've received so far and seeing affirmation with the Lord, you know, as you put, uh, receiving his alms and honoring his prayers. Uh, and yet when that person, you know, zooms ahead so many years, looks back on their life and says, you know, at what point was I a Christian? What point was I saved? Sometimes it gets messy. I talk to a lot of friends who really aren't very clear. And, and it sounds like, I know this isn't exactly your point, but it sounds like 
uh, Cornelius had a story like that, right? Because you zoom ahead a few chapters in Acts, and the Lord is sending Peter, and Peter goes and brings this special revelation, this, this special, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and baptizes them. And, and it's at that point clear, okay, obviously Cornelius is, is a believer, but also it implies, because of the way Peter responded, um, hey, he looked at him as a non-believer, <laughs> maybe, you know, receptive, obviously, to the gospel, but he saw some. hey, you need to make this confession, you need to be baptized to be sealed with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and so it, it does raise that issue. Now, of course, Cornelius is now living after the time of Christ, um, and so, you know, this, this gospel message can be brought to him, whereas prior to the coming of Christ, people were in a different situation yes. uh, relative to the special revelation of God that had been revealed. Um, and so, you know, the Old Testament saints didn't have the full knowledge about Christ and his salvation that we do today, mm -hmm. but they were nonetheless responded positively to the revelation that God had communicated to them and believed it. Like, like it says in Genesis 15, 6, that Abram believed the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Mm -hmm. You know, he yeah. counted his faith as as righteousness, yeah, famous passage. even though, you know, he didn't have access to the full message of Christ or anything at the time that he lived. Um, so, yeah, it, it ends up getting a little bit messy, and that's why, you know, I want to be careful and not be dogmatic. Certainly, one thing that I think that we can say, which is a very hopeful thing to say, is that, as we've said, everyone has access to God's general revelation and creation and conscience. You know, this is universally available to all people at all times and all places. And it does seem like we have biblical reason to believe on the basis of the example of Cornelius the centurion, as well as in Acts chapter 8, the Ethiopian eunuch, mm -hmm. who's responding positively to the revelation that he has. Mm -hmm. And God sends Philip to go up and preach the gospel to him, and he responds and yep. is baptized. Yep. And so it does seem that we can say that all people have access, at, at the very least, to God's general revelation. And if they respond positively to that, that it seems like we've got biblical justification to say that God will send them more revelation mm -hmm. and could ultimately bring them the gospel or at least sufficient revelation that they could be saved, depending on whether they're in an Old Testament context, so to speak, or a New Testament context. Mm -hmm. And that wouldn't have to be by bringing a missionary to them. I mean, it could be you know, that where they're living, maybe they suffer a drought and all the food sources dry up and their family has to move to a different place and they move to a place in which there's a an ambassador of god that's capable of speaking to their mm -hmm. spiritual needs and bringing them you know either an old testament message that results in their salvation through faith or a new testament message of christ that results in them believing the gospel and being saved so you know, it could be God bringing someone to them or God be, bringing I, them to... It could be both, yeah. yeah. There's, there's no limit to the way God can... Yeah, or them uh, meeting redeem. halfway or, or just whatever. Yeah, exactly. So it sounds like th this is a hard question to answer. Yes. And one that you don't want to come down real definitively or really hard or for sure with a closed fist when it comes to is general revelation sufficient to, to bring someone to saving knowledge of the Lord? Yeah, yeah. I think that, that if it is, if we assume just for the sake of argument that that Native American... Um, could be saved by responding positively to general revelation. I think that what we would want to say is that that is probably exceedingly rare, um, given what Scripture has to mm, say about okay. the sinfulness of man and the fact that, you know, in Romans 1, that God's wrath is revealed against humankind because, you know, mm -hmm. he's made himself known through creation and conscience, and yet people are suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. That seems to be 
the typical way that unregenerate humanity responds to general revelation yes. is to reject it, to suppress the truth and unrighteousness mm -hmm. and so forth. But if we do suppose for the sake of argument that somebody responded positively to that, then it seems at least possible, you know, that they, they could be saved. And yet I don't want to be dogmatic about it. Yeah. At, the, at the very least, if they respond positively to it, I think that God will bring them more revelation that could result in their salvation. Yeah. You know, and I think this is a good time to bring up something that I, I wanted to say, which is uh, when it comes to who this applies to, right? Who, who, who is the, per if we're talking about this idea in an abstraction, you know, can someone be saved through general revelation, right? That's a fine abstraction, but who are we talking about? Right. And when it comes to our listener, it's not them. I mean, let's be real frank. If you're if you tapped on this podcast to listen to it, you've almost heard the gospel just in this very <laughs> recording right now, yeah. which is that Jesus is God. He died for your sin. You're sinful before God and separated, and He's atoned for it. And you can have unity and peace with God through your Lord Jesus Christ. That's Romans five one. Uh, I mean, that's the gospel. So so uh, anyway, to to put the question that we're discussing in terms of salvation and, ter and general revelation in context. It's not the listener, more than likely. And and I say that just to be, you know, as, as serious as I can, but also, um, you know, when we talk about uh, what kinds of issues are at stake in terms of this being, um, I, I know my pastor often says that these are, are spiritual issues rather than uh, an information issue. And it's easy to hide behind asking intellectual questions or abstractions rather than dealing with what's at hand. And that's a lot of what you've been talking about in terms of someone who's dealing with the revelation that, that the Lord has provided to them. And uh, uh, so that's just something that I, I, I if you're having a, a, a sincere question, a sincere doubt about this issue or this question, for sure, that's why we're talking about it. And I want to help you wrestle with it at the same time. Um, if you're using it as a shield to shy away from accepting Jesus as your savior, then I just want to call that for what it is, which is smoke, just yeah. blowing smoke. Um, if so, if you really need to accept Jesus, that's a submission problem. That's a pride problem for those for whom Jesus has been specially revealed. Yeah. And yeah. So it's important to understand that, you know, with respect to our thought experiment, you know, with the Native American living prior to the arrival of missionaries, that we're assuming somebody, for the sake of argument, that only has access to general revelation, that has no access whatever yeah. to special revelation. And then it's important to also say that if, and like I say, I, I'm, I'm not taking a dogmatic position on this, but if such a person could be saved by a positive response to general revelation in circumstances like those that we outlined earlier, if that were the case, then it's still important to recognize that just the same with the Old Testament saints, that that person is still saved through the sacrifice of Christ. It's not like they're saved apart from the work, the person and work hmm. of Christ. They're, they're still saved. This is important. Because of the person and work of Christ, because Jesus died for their sins on the cross. Mm, okay. It's just that they haven't heard that message because they don't have access to special revelation. They're responding positively to the light that they have. And God can, just like he did with Abram, credit their faith to them as righteousness, possibly. So, yeah, I don't want to take a dogmatic position on this. I'm, I'm open to that as a possibility. But it could also be possible that in such circumstances, uh, when people respond positively to the light that they have, that God just sends them more light. And that would typically be through a human ambassador. But for all we know, it could be through an angelic ambassador, like visited Cornelius. Maybe an angel could mm. come and preach the gospel. Yeah. I mean, this is pure speculation. Or, sure. you know, through a dream or a vision. You right. Know I mean? so, the Muslim so, world is blown up through dreams and visions of, of Jesus. Yeah. So so that ultimately in those circumstances, God wouldn't be limited. He could He could get them 
you know, more light in some way or another mm-hmm. um, if they respond positively to the light that they have through general revelation. Yeah. So, I mean, this has been a really fantastic conversation so far and it brought up a lot of, of issues that I hadn't thought of and helped me think about passages of scripture in ways I hadn't thought of before. But at the same time, um, you know, I want to land this plane and, and let's yes. let, let's uh, for sure talk about something that's uh, how, how this applies. How is this relevant to our listener? Um, why does this matter? to someone who believes in Jesus and maybe isn't a missionary or a pastor or well one of the things whatever. that's really one of the things that's really great about the fact that God has made himself known generally through general revelation and you know qualifying that with you know by the fact that recognizing that you know the knowledge of God through general revelation is just general and that it's hampered by our sinfulness and so forth Nonetheless, having taken account of all that, one of the things that's really great about the fact that God has made himself known in this way is that we can be confident that when we do share the gospel with somebody that hasn't heard the message of Christ, that there's at least a point of contact there, that at some level, God has made himself known to this person through the things that he's made, through creation, through conscience, that they have, even if they're trying their best to suppress it and reject that knowledge and so forth, that God has nonetheless made himself known. So it's not like this person doesn't have any context for understanding uh, the message of Christ, that God you know, sent his son to be the savior of the world. It's that they do have some context for understanding who God is as the creator of the universe, understanding their moral accountability to him, and even recognizing their moral failure mm-hmm. before him which can then make the gospel very good news to those, you know, whom the Holy Spirit is working on to convict them of their sin and so forth. The gospel can then become very good news because recognizing that, hey, God does exist. I'm morally accountable to him and I have failed to live up to his morally perfect standards. And hence the message of the gospel that salvation is available by God's grace through faith in Christ alone, apart from my works, can become very good news indeed. And so general revelation, I think, is very helpful in providing just that point of contact, that there is nobody that we can go to, so to speak, that doesn't have some knowledge of God, Mm. because God has made himself known through creation and conscience. Yeah. Okay, so what I hear you saying is for someone who is not one of those pastor, missionary, vocational worker in God's kingdom, Regardless, because of general revelation, anyone you talk to, when when you are sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, they will have some context for that conversation. There will be some sense in which they're ready that the Lord has already revealed himself in some way to them already. Yeah, yeah. And so you would have in you know a situation in which the gospel is being shared, you would have not only that point of contact through general revelation, the fact that they already know something about God through the things that he's made and through their conscience and so forth. But then it's also important to remember that whenever we're sharing the gospel, that this isn't just a horizontal transaction of information, Mm -hmm. me sharing information with you. I mean, that's happening. And yet at the same time, there's also that vertical dimension in which the Holy Spirit is also at work to convict this person of sin and their need for Christ and to, you know, kind of prick that person's heart that, hey, this message of the gospel is really true, and to testify to the truth of that message as we're sharing it. So you've got both, you know, God's revelation through general revelation, as well Mm -hmm. as the work of the Holy Spirit going on, you know, whenever the gospel is being shared. But general revelation does supply that 
point of contact and gives us confidence that, you know, that there isn't any place that we can go, even to places where the gospel's never been preached, where people don't have some knowledge of God, Mm -hmm. even though they have maybe suppressed it and done their level-headed best to reject it because of sin, still there is some context for understanding who God is because God has made himself known through the things that he's made. Yeah. You know, and, and I think this is also an important witness for our listener. And I know that because general revelation is important witness to me as I experience God through his creation enlarges my view of him. Yes. I I can't tell you how many times I experience the beauty of his creation and I'm just in awe and I'm in wonder, uh, just taking notice and observing just the amazingness of his creation testifies to the amazingness of my creator. And so I, I think general revelation is important to our listener, even for just for their own soul, for the sake of their own soul, for the sake of their own salvation in the wider sense of experiencing God in a proper and true way that you recognize, wow, he is so much bigger than I am. And I am so small. I am so small. And that's a very appropriate, I would call that a salvation response in terms of appropriately um, responding and encountering creator. Yeah, it's certainly recognizing, you know, our own smallness and finitude, you know, with respect to God's greatness. And, you know, the the infinity of his attributes, you know, the fact that he's eternal Mm -hmm. and omniscient and omnipresent and omnipotent and recognizing his greatness and and recognizing our smallness with respect to that and and not to i don't know how how to articulate this exactly but but not to dismiss the power of special revelation but there is a, there is a special experiential aspect to general revelation right when it comes to the creation itself bearing witness as you mentioned in psalm 19 right the heavens declare the glory of god um there's there's something powerful about um, a powerful dynamic to that experiential aspect that is different than special revelation. We've talked about it, but I'll, I'll say it, I think that is something that is accessible to all people, that they can recognize that. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I guess one last qualification, um, just because this is important, for the people, theologians will oftentimes make the point, and I think it's a very good and worthwhile point to make, that people's recognition of God's revelation of himself in creation and conscience and so forth will be vastly different depending on whether or not they're regenerate, whether or not they're a born-again believer. So for that person who does not know God in a saving way, I do think that they have, you know, God has revealed himself in creation and conscience, and they do have some Mm -hmm. access to that even in spite of their sin and their efforts to suppress it. But for the believer who has come to know God through faith in Christ and is born again and is regenerate, um, they can see all the clearer God's revelation of himself in creation. Mm. They're not concerned to deny it or suppress yeah. it. They they are able to appreciate it and see the beauty and glory of God's revelation of himself in creation in ways that the unbeliever isn't, even though they still have some access to that revelation. Yeah, I see. Well, this has been a really fascinating and wonderful and interesting and encouraging and inspiring conversation Well, good uh, I... with you, Michael. I've really enjoyed it. We've talked about general revelation. What is it? We've talked about the biblical case for it. Does it exist in the Bible? We've talked about important questions like, can someone be saved through strictly general revelation? And then naturally why this is important for the believer. And it's something that has really um, encouraged me and I, I hope has encouraged our listeners well. 
I do too. And uh, yeah, thanks, Michael. Do you have any other closing final thoughts? I just am grateful to have been part of the program, Paul. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Michael. And thank you for listening. We'll see you on the next episode.